If you uh, have a Bible, I welcome you to join me in Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Remember last week we heard that he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and made him overseer over his house, and all he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened that one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me, and I screamed. And when he heard and I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to see me, into me to make sport of me. As I raised my voice, I screamed. He took his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned, so Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph there, and he extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him 
prosper. May this word be useful for our teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness today. So again, we're continuing our study in, in the book of Genesis on the life of Joseph. And, and I've entitled the, this series, The Hand of God. And, and the reason I entitled this, The Hand of God, is because we, we need to remember that God is not passive, he's not absent, but God is present in the lives of his people and in the work amongst the world. God is a sovereign God, but he's a God of providence. And providence means he's actively involved. And we particularly see this in Joseph's life. Now, as Greg said, and he also read, last time we saw that Joseph, he had been, if you will, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. He's taken by Midianite slave traders, and he's taken down to Egypt, and he suddenly finds, him there, finds himself there sold as a slave. And this morning, we're going to see Joseph face a very difficult test. He is going to face, as a young man, the temptation to have sex with a beautiful married woman. And what we'll see is that Joseph is going to fight and resist this temptation and have victory with this temptation. And from what he does, we'll learn some very valuable lessons on we too as God's people, how we fight and resist temptation. Now it begins with what I call the setup. This is a story. You know, there are different types of ways that the Bible's written. This is written as a story. And so first you see the introduction or the setup for the story. And we're going to see that the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him. And Joseph finds himself as a slave in Potiphar's house. And, and last time we saw that there are no accidents in God's kingdom. That it, this is God's ordained plan. And sometimes we think that the blessing of God only means smooth waters, that everything's gonna be just great. But did you know that actually for him to be a slave in an Egyptian's home is actually God's blessing on his life? This is a God-ordained moment. And sometimes we get confused with why am I suffering or why is it difficult? How could you ever allow? But understand, God is in this. This is a, a God-planned event. And Joseph finds him, some, himself here as a slave. Now, in chapter 37, Joseph was a young man with a bright future. He had this great-looking coat on. He knew that he was going to be the guy to take over the family. Everything was working. That's chapter 37. Suddenly, we're in chapter 39, and suddenly, Joseph has everything stripped from him. He no longer has that coat. He no longer has an identity. He is a slave. He's a captive, and somebody owns him. He's a piece of property in someone's house. But in this, he still knows that there's a God on the throne. And he understands who his true master is. And by the way, I just want to kind of set up front. There is no such thing called fate. It's not real. There is no blind chance. The stars don't have to align for things to work out for you. Do you understand God? God, we've got to get this. He is on the throne. He is involved in your life. Do you trust him? And God is at work in Joseph's life. And God has ordained that he is going to be a slave. 
And I want you to know that he is not alone. And it says it very clearly here in verse two. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. By the way, eight different times in this section, it says that God is with him. In verse two, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. In verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Also in verse three, the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. In verse five, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Also in verse five, the Lord's blessing was upon all he owned. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph, extended kindness to him. Verse 23, the Lord was with him. Also verse 23, whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Did you get the point? He's with them. He's there. Do you know that? Do you understand? You're not alone. Even though it's not smooth, even though it's bumpy, even though you can't see around the bend, that does not mean God has left you. Brother and sister in Christ, he's with you. And he was working on Joseph's behalf. Now, Joseph is a hard worker. He's a diligent worker. And, and, and so Potiphar, he takes notice of this young man's work, but can I tell you, it's more than just his diligence. Verse three says, now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord had caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Yes, he was diligent. Yes, he was a hard worker, but God was involved helping him to prosper. And, and Potiphar knows this. God is also working on Potiphar's heart. Now, he's not a, a Jew, if you will. He's not a believer in our language, but God still can work even in an unbeliever's heart. And I want you to understand that the God that he's speaking of here is Yahweh. It's not some Egyptian God. If, if you look at your text, wherever it says Lord, it's all caps. Why? Because he's saying Yahweh. Yahweh. The true and living God is with Joseph. And God saw to it that he advanced in Potiphar's house. Look at verse 4. It says, so Joseph found favor in the sight, and he became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned was put in his charge. And so Potiphar saying, well, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Everything this kid does, it turns great. And so verse six, it says, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge and was with him there. And he didn't concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Now here's just a thought for you as a Christian employee. Do you know that, that people will see God by your actions and by what you do in the workplace? And by the way, don't take advantage if you have a Christian boss. I hear so many stories about Christians thinking that they deserve to be treated differently by their Christian boss because you have this connection as, as a Christ child follower. We are to be diligent workers. We should be the best employee our company has. Why? Because it reflects our relationship with God. God was prospering him and, and, and everything was going well for Potiphar and for Joseph, but we're gonna see that's gonna change next. Now, I've, talking about, I've talked about my brother Gordon many times in this church, and my brother Gordon was 11 years older than me. And when my parents split when I was nine years old, my brother stepped in, kind of like a surrogate dad, great guy, loved him dearly. As a matter of fact, when, when I was a young man, 17, my mom says, okay, Rob, you're, you've graduated from high school? Congratulations, you get to move out. And I moved in with my brother Gordon. Why? Because my brother Gordon had a problem. He had a lust problem. 
He was married, but he cheated on his first wife multiple times. And so my brother had a spare bedroom. And so I went and lived with my brother. Can I just tell you something up front? This particular sin, sexual sin, it devastates home, devastates relationships. It is a destroyer. And the devil loves it. And he will use it. And I saw it happen in my brother's life with his first wife. I'm so glad he didn't have any children with her. So the devastation didn't impact kids. Joseph has a new start here. And my brother was given a, a new start. He actually met another woman. They fell in love. They got married and very quickly they had two children. A new beginning. And that's what we see with Joseph here. It's, it's, it's a bumpy beginning, but it's a new beginning for him. And the first thing we see is that the Lord was with him. And the second thing we see is that we need to be aware of the subtleties of temptation. As God's people, we need to be aware of the subtleties of temptation. In verse 6 and 7, it says, Now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance, and it came about after these events that his master's wife looked at him with desire at Joseph, and she said to him, Lie with me. Now, it begins here that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I think you know this, but sensuality and sexuality and all this stuff is just running rampant in our society. I mean, it's in every advertisement. It's all over the TV. It's in every movie. You can't seem to get away from it. But it's nothing new. It's been this way from the very beginning, ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin. This is part of the broken world that we live in. And by the way, temptation is not a sin. It is your response to the temptation where it turns into sin. And also, by the way, God does not tempt anyone. You cannot blame God. God let this happen. No, he did not. It is your responsibility to fight, to fight against sin. As a matter of fact, James says in James 1, 13 and 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And I heard someone once say that if God didn't want me to do this, he'd just take it away. That's not true. That's a wrong thought. That is not of the Lord. Temptation is all around us, but God calls us to take a stand and to fight now let me first just say here, the temptation that we're dealing with is temptation of lust, temptation to sexual sin. Now, now everybody has weaknesses. You, your weakness might be gossip. You love tantalizing stories. You just can't wait to tell somebody else. If you're a student, your weakness might be you want to always kind of cheat on a test or maybe you actually cheat on your taxes, whatever it is. But I'm going to primarily deal with this one, lust, sexual sin, the temptation to sin this way. And the enemy of our soul uses this one quite a bit. And there are four things we're going to learn about temptation when we look at Potiphar's wife's approach to Joseph. And the first thing is temptation is subtle. And it usually begins subtle. In verse 7, it says, It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now, that looks very bold, doesn't it? But that first section, it says, It came about after these events. Understand, I don't think Joseph, when he first got there, this happened. 
For him to be put in that position of leadership, that position where he oversees the house, it probably be a couple of years. And so there was this time period where he was part of the house. And I think when he first came there, it was kind of like, oh, there's this new slave young man there. And, but he's a handsome guy. He kind of stood out. And I think at first Potiphar's wife probably just noticed him. And then it started to progress. I think she noticed, wow, he's a handsome guy too. And then it, she started to say, wow, every time she sees him and she notices, he's kind of good looking. And then there was probably that eye contact thing. You know what I'm talking about? That it's more than just a look. It turned into kind of a gaze. And there was something going on. There was a chemistry, if you will. And suddenly she began to dwell on him and think about him. And, and it got inside. And it actually turned into desire. It turned into lust. Now, the King James says that she cast her eyes upon him and so at first, it was this subtle thing, I think, that took place. And, and really, this is a, a warning for us because so you understand, the, the eyes can be the pathway to your heart. And what you allow in can actually have an impact on you. That happened in, in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate and she gave it also to her husband, and he ate. So for Eve, first she saw that it looked good, and then it became a delight to her eyes. Wow, that, that looks really good. And then it became desirable. I really want that. Then boom, she took it. It's kind of like cake when it's in your house. This past week was my birthday. And so last Sunday after church, we went to my son's house, and my wife didn't make one. She made two cakes. And so I had my favorite carrot cake, and I had the Texas hot cocoa chocolate cake. It was so good. And so Sunday, I had cake. Hey, I'm, I'm allowed. That was my birthday. The problem is, it was also there on Monday. And so as I come downstairs, I saw the cake, and then I saw that it looked really good. And then I began to desire the cake, and then... I ate the cake. Same thing we see with Joseph, right? It, it, with Potiphar's wife, she began to, to change, and it, it went from something subtle to really the second thing that we see, it, it became bold. And temptation can sometimes be very bold as well. She literally says, lie with me. And that is bold. That's just right out there, straightforward. And I think what happened is, is he became a preoccupation in her mind that it went from just a look to a leer to an action that it became she could not stop thinking about him. Which goes to the third as it became persistent. Potiphar's wife was persistent. She had a sustained approach to trying to be with him. I read somewhere where it says, opportunity may knock only once, but temptation leans on like a doorbell. And let me tell you something, you may have been successful to resist temptation once, but trust me, it will be back, and particularly this temptation. And in verse 10, it says, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day, she was persistent. I want to give you some bewares. Beware, Christian, if you're single and you're dating. Beware that you may have been successful last time, but you may not be successful 
the next time. Be careful if you have somebody you work with or a friend of the opposite sex that you've got this little tundra where you flirt with each other. Be careful of playing games, particularly with sexual sin, because you might have been successful to hold off last time, but you might find yourself in real danger next time. Be careful for those of you who are married. Don't be open to being intimate with somebody where you share your deepest thoughts and feelings with somebody who is not your spouse. That's reserved for them. Be careful because temptation is persistent. It comes back around, and particularly this temptation. And the devil, he is a liar. And the reason that we need to worry about this persistence is because there are three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, and the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. He wants you to fall because that will bring shame to you, to your family, to the church, and the very name of God. And by the way, the world, it's a liar. The world pumps this stuff out like candy. Why? Because the world's all about self and self-gratification because the devil is the ruler of the world. Also be careful of your own lust, your own flesh, because your own flesh wants to satisfy itself and it will lie to you. It's only once. <laughs> Just click it, no big deal. Just go to that site, nobody will know. It's a lie. Now, Paul put it like this in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not marked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And when you give over to this, you will reap corruption. To the point where you might even say there is no God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made the observation that when lust takes control, the reality of God fades. He said, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. And as the world and the flesh and the devil press in, we need to fight. And temptation is persistent. But not only that, it's strategic. She was strategic. You know, the whole thing where there was nobody in the house, it doesn't really say it in the text, but I think she planned the whole thing. I said, today's the day when everybody's out at the field. You're going to work on the field, except you, Joseph. <laughs> now, Joseph, he's caught off guard because that's his job. He had to be in there. He's over the whole house. And she was waiting for this moment. Verse 11 and 12, it says, Now it happened one day when he went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the household were there inside. And she caught him by the garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and he fled outside. Potiphar's wife is consumed with lust. He is the object of her lust. And she is going to have him. And she wants to trap him and cause him to fall into sin. And when a person gets consumed, it overwhelms. Matter of fact, James speaks about this in James 1.15. He said, then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You could even say she's the walking dead. She's consumed. Now, I wish I could say that my brother was like Joseph, that he had integrity, that he was willing to fight, but he wasn't that by any means. Matter of fact, as my brother's marriage to his second wife kind of progressed, and I, now I'm a young man, 
he always talked negatively about his relationship. It, it, it bothered him. And one time, Karen and I went on a vacation with our two kids. At that time, that time, we only had two. And my brother Gordon and his wife went on vacation with us with their two kids. And we went to Wyoming to visit my mother. And they live, live in this beautiful place called Story, Wyoming, just picturesque, you know, mountain community, beautiful. And my, my Uncle Glennie lived down the, the way from them. And one night, we're all together at my Uncle Glennie's. And my Uncle Glenn had this um, uh, hot tub in his cabin and my brother Gordon and Glennie were off in the hot tub and the rest of us, the two families, we're all together, my brother's wife and Karen and I, all the kids, everybody were all talking and having fun and, and I noticed my brother's wife got up and went back to tell my brother Gordon something and she came back a few minutes later just crying, broken. And we didn't know what happened and the rest of the week there was like this, they were totally separate and we could tell, man, something happened. And I learned later, years, a couple years later, that when his wife went back, my brother was talking to my uncle Glennie about a woman he was having an affair with from his office. And she walked in and heard it all, the ugly details. Well, needless to say, their, their marriage didn't make it, but now they had kids. And I, can I just plead with you? It breaks homes. It kills relationships and it wrecks kids. And it broke my heart. And it destroyed him and his family. Destroyed them. This is an ugly sin. And the devil wants you to fall. And you've got to fight. And that's what we'll see next. How to fight. How to fight. Third thing is Joseph resisted temptation and he honored God. And verses 7 through 9 says, It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, behold, with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great and evil sin against God. Say up front, Joseph is just a normal young man. God didn't give him some special ability to fight sin. So what we're going to see here are five things that Joseph does to resist temptation, to resist this particular sin. And the first one is Joseph is decisive. Joseph is decisive with his decisions. He had determined he in no way was going to sin against God. And you see this in this persistence of this woman. And he says, no, 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 no. And then when she's there, he says, no. He had already determined in his heart. He had already thought through this one. I am not going to go there. You need to think through what's appropriate and inappropriate in your life. You need to understand that you need to determine now, long before you're confronted, that you will not cross some certain boundaries. Hey, if you're single here, there are certain places you don't want to end up. It's not okay to be in a car alone in some secluded area with this guy or this girl, or alone in an apartment or a house. If you're married and you travel a lot, it's not okay to be hanging out with a woman, a coworker, whatever, alone. I mean, when I was in business, I told my wife, I said, I won't even go to lunch with a woman if she's a client alone. I'll either invite one of her co-employees or invite my boss. There are decisions you make that matter. 
Be decisive. Joseph, he was definitely decisive. Second thing, he's a man of integrity. That means he's a man of his word. And he knew that she had crossed the line. Now, there's three reasons why he did not lay with her. First, he refused to sin against the trust that was given to him. That's verse 8. It said, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. He understood that he had a responsibility, and he wasn't going to cross that responsibility. He had a charge given to him. The second thing, he refused to sin against his master. This was his boss, and he understands that God ordains who is our boss, and so he, by every right, should not be disrespectful in that way. Verse 9, he says, There is no one greater in this house than I, and he, being Potiphar, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And third, he refused to sin against God, the most important thing. He understands that he was not alone with her in that room. Do you get that? Do you have a fear of God? Do you understand when you click on that site that God is there, he is present he sees the sin. He, he knows. Joseph knew that. He would not sin against God. He understood that it brings shame to the name of God. He says, how can I do this great evil against God? By the way, when a person or a society stops acknowledging that immorality or homosexuality or transgenderism or whatever is just normal and not a sin, that culture is doomed. We saw that with the Greek culture. We saw that with the Roman culture. And I believe we're going to see it with the American culture as well. You give yourself over to this lie like our culture has. The hand of God's protection is taken off. Third thing, Joseph was unyielding to temptation. He was unyielding to temptation. He knew it was wrong, and he wasn't crossing that line. By the way, for those of you who are single, it is always wrong if you're a believer to date an unbeliever. Always wrong. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, you just don't understand. I mean, she wants to come to church with me. Or Pastor Rob, he, he's so, so close. No. It's wrong in the eyes of God. They don't know God. What has light have to do with darkness, 2 Corinthians 6 tells us? Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't open up that can of worms. Because once you give your heart over, you're cooked. I've walked with too many couples through this one. It doesn't work. Missionary dating, no, it's a lie. He was unyielding. Wasn't giving in on that one. Be decisive. Be a, be a person of integrity. Be unyielding. Fourth one, he was practical. Now, verse 10 says, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her or lie beside her or be with her. There's a progression there. First, he wasn't persuaded by her words. He wasn't going to listen to the lie. Then he was very careful in terms of proximity with her. He had certain guards and boundaries set up. He would not lie with her. That's a given. But then it says he wouldn't even be with her. So she had to figure out a way to trap him, which is exactly what she did. 
He was very practical in his approach, and we need to be the same way. If, if you have a problem with pornography, do you have software on that thing? Do you have accountability? Do you have things set up, guards, you'd call them, to help you? I, I pray you do. Finally, fifth, he was ruthless. Ruthless with sin. When she confronted him, when she grabbed him, what did he do? He ran. Man, hey, are your shoes on and laced up? You understand what I'm saying? Are you ready? Because when this happens, particularly those of you who are single, and it's going to happen, you need to understand that you don't want to stand there and say, I'm going to pray about it. Let's talk about whether this is right or not. No, you're out. Done. Ruthless. And that's the way you want to fight, particularly this sin. You don't play around with this sin. Get out. Because for Joseph, he understood that this is the key particularly to sexual sin. Throughout the Bible, you see one word very often when, it's, when it talks about sexual sin. What does it say? Flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee immorality, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You flee immorality. Now, Potiphar's wife, kind of tying her bow on this, is, is she is a great liar, man. She's a pro. And so what she does, she works the deal with both the other servants in the house and her husband. And verses 13 and 14, it says, when she had left his, it said, when he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us, and he came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. And so she gets him on her side. And did you see there? She blamed her husband, right? That Hebrew slave that he brought. And then when her husband comes home, she says, hey, the Hebrew slave whom you <laughs> brought to us came in to make sport with me. Now, the husband listened to her, and her husband actually throws him into jail. But let me tell you something. I don't think the husband bought I think he knew. Because this guy is head of basically security for the, for the pharaoh. He's like the head executioner, and this is a major sin against him. And so normally he would just off with his head, but I think he understood no. It's probably my wife, but to save face, he threw him into jail. And that'll be our next story. My brother's life of lust was all-consuming. Guys, it was so dark. Now, many of you know my brother died of Alzheimer's. He had early-onset Alzheimer's. At age 57, he was diagnosed. He was dead by age 65. I'm the executor of the will. And so... My job was to go and to sell his home and to clear out his home of all belongings. And I made a very dark discovery. My brother was absolutely engrossed in that sin, pornography. And I found it the first day I went there to start packing boxes. There were hundreds upon hundreds of films. It was so gross, I just stopped. I walked outside and I called the close room and said, pray with me, brother, because I gotta put this stuff in trash bags. And that's what I did. I filled the whole back end of an SUV and I dumped it before I did anything else. And I am pleading with you, church. This sin is the hidden sin in church. And if you in any way are involved with this, it is unpleasing to God. It dishonors him, and it dishonors you as a brother or sister in Christ. If you name Christ and this is your deal, run. If you need help, reach out. Because this sin is dark. And it will capture you. And if you open up that part of your life to that, it will consume.
and it destroys. And it might, his family to this day is hurting. Don't do it. But Joseph was a man who found victory. I'm grateful to the Lord. The Lord showed grace to my brother Gordon. He came to Christ two years before he died. So even that sin, grace can be found. But the consequences, they're still there. Don't go there. Let me close in prayer. Father, I ask for your grace right now for everyone here. A very serious text, but one, Lord, that we need to hear as a church. Would you help us, Lord, to be faithful, faithful? Would you show us, Lord, if, if there's anything going on in a person's life here this morning, if there is a relationship that is inappropriate, if there's something going on online, Father, if there are movies or shows that they allow themselves to be a part of, Father, would you convict right now? Would you do that inner work that only your spirit can do? And then would you clean house, Father, and put it in your hands? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.